Blessings to all of you. It's great to teach you brothers and sisters. I know you're out there because I hear from you as well. I'm blessed to be able to teach uh, everyone who is uh, tuning into this lesson, whether you're in by just by audio or by video. I'm delighted to teach from uh, the book of Matthew and picking up here in chapter 13, verse 53. We'll go through chapter 14, verse 26 too long a passage to read all at once, so I'll comment on it as we make progress through. But first, I want us to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate His Word for us today. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, thank You for Your Word, and not only written down for us, but especially incarnated in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promise that it is the Holy Spirit who works by and with the Word in our hearts to help us to understand it, but also to help us to put it into practice. Please, Lord, help us not to be those who look at a mirror and forget the image that we have seen. But as we look into this mirror of our heart, exposing where we need you to correct us, to exhort us, to reprove us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, even to convert us. Oh Lord, Holy Spirit, uh, get a name for yourself in the way you teach and apply the word to us today. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. As you have probably learned by now in studying uh, the book of Matthew, it's true of any gospel, the Holy Spirit uh, guided the writer not just to write down the words that he did, but also the order with which these words occur, the order with which the stories occur. Uh, some are more chronologically ordered than others, but here is no exception that it is important to read the transitions as much as it is to look at the words themselves. So the first thing that we notice when we come to verse 53, the first verse of our text, chapter 13, verse 53, is <clears throat> that Matthew says, when Jesus had finished these parables, when Jesus had finished these parables, why does he make that note that Jesus made the next movement? He went away from them, he came to his hometown and so forth. Why does he note that all of this that occurs in the rest of chapter, 15, uh, chapter 13 and through chapter 14, all of this occurs after he taught these parables. I think we have to review a bit of the parables that you've studied so well with Barton and Todd already, but I want just to review them together because you will see, I'm sure, by the Lord's help, how the Lord personally fulfills everything that he taught in the parables that you have already studied um, earlier. So after these parables, what are the parables that we have that we have looked at already? Well we go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 13 and uh, remember what uh, Jesus said in verses 10 to 12 when the, the, when the disciples asked, why do you speak in parables? He said, uh, to you it has been given, 13 verse 11, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. 
you've been studying the book of Matthew, so you, you know already that the kingdom is used a lot. King and kingdom. You can't understand Matthew without understanding the concept of king and kingdom, which I know you've learned so well from your other teachers as well. But, but, uh, but here Matthew says, Jesus says, in answer to the disciples' question, why do you teach in parables? I'm teaching in parables so that you can understand the kingdom. Well, what does he teach about the kingdom? Let's review the parables. The first parable is in chapter 13, verse 1. It's the parable of the sower. Sower went forth to sow his seed. It fell on various kinds of soil. But it was only the seed that fell on the good soil, remember, that bore fruit. Other other seeds fell on different kinds of grass. Some of it fell uh, on, on, on thin soil so that it sprang up for a while. It appeared to be growing. It appeared to be successful. But, but Jesus said, in the end, it's only the seed that falls on good soil that bears much fruit. The rest of it will suffer judgment. Jesus is making a demarcation between the people of God and the people of this world. He's making a demarcation between disciples of Christ, those who will, those who follow him, those who will be found in the kingdom of heaven and those who will not. So it's the parable of the sower, the parable of the good soil. The second parable is the parable of the weeds uh, in chapter 13, verse 24, that the, there's the farmer uh, uh, tilled up his land, he planted it, and and uh, the good wheat started coming up, and then weeds, uh, you know, an, a, a, an enemy came along and, and sowed some seeds for weeds. And the weeds grew up alongside the wheat, and it appears that it's all one, one field, all one crop. He said, don't worry about that. They will come when the harvest will be made, and, and, the, and the wheat will be taken, and it will be threshed, and, that, and, and everything will be thrown up in the air. It'll be winnowed. It'll be thrown up in the air. The wind will drive away the chaff. The, the heavy barley uh, heads will fall to the ground. And the rest that is not barley, the rest that is not, or the rest that is not wheat, will be burned up. The, the wheat grows. The wheat bears fruit regardless of the weeds third parable or and I would put these two together the third and fourth parables leaven and hidden treasure and hidden pearl um, or excuse me the mustard seed that's the third one the mustard seed you know the mustard seed though it's tiny it uh, it is planted it germinates it grows and regardless of being the smallest of seeds 13 uh, 31 and following Though it's the smallest of seeds, it grows into a big tree, and and birds find shelter in it. Similarly, uh, the parable of leaven. Um, uh, Jesus says that 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 uh, the 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 leaven uh, is hidden within the dough. It's folded into the dough, so you can't see it anymore. And yet, when you when you leave it for some time, especially when you bake it, it activates it and it's, it spreads through it or affects the whole lump of dough. Even though it's hidden, it is powerful. Similar ideas there between the mustard seed, an unlikely 
small size seed becomes a great plant. Uh, something that is hidden becomes effective. That's the idea of the mustard seed and the leaven. And then the, the uh, fourth major unit, what I meant to say earlier, it's the, it's, the, it's the fifth parable, it's the hidden treasure. And then the sixth one is the hidden pearl. Man finds a treasure, he, f he buries it in a field. People look at that field and say that feels worthless. They don't know it, it has a treasure in it. The man doesn't own the, tr on the, on the field, but he knows because the treasure's in there, he leverages everything he has. He, he liquidates everything he has and he buys that field. Same with a pearl. Pearl's hidden away in an oyster shell. And it's not much to look at on the outside, but he knows there's a pearl in there. So he, he leverages everything and he buys that pearl. He, he, he buys something that doesn't seem from the outside to be worth very much. He invests everything he has because he knows that what's inside there is worth everything. And then, um, and then the fifth unit or the, or the seventh parable is the net. Parable of the net. Fisherman goes out, throws his net out. He gathers up a bunch of fish. And uh, there's junk fish in there. And then there's fish that there are fish that you want to eat. And the, and the fisherman. Uh, he gathers up the net, he brings up everything, brings it into the boat, takes it onto the shore, and then he starts sorting through. He says, this is a good fish. This is one, this is one that I went after when I came to get, and I'm choosing this one. I'm pulling this one out of the bunch. The rest, I'm going to pass over. He is the one who finds the fish. He's the one who identifies the fish. He's the one who takes the fish and and sells it or prepares it. It becomes, it becomes valuable by his choosing. Well, that's the background. Those parables, some of them Jesus explained, like the parable of the weeds, the parable of the sower, he explained. the others he didn't explain. He just left them there. But they're easy enough to understand. The image is easy enough to understand. So then that takes us to our passage. All of that lies in the background as Matthew says, when Jesus had finished these parables. When Jesus finished these parables, he went to his hometown. He went back to Nazareth in the region of Galilee. And he taught in the synagogue, taught in Capernaum, <clears throat> for instance. And, uh, and they were astonished says in verse 54, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Now, wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter's son? We know his mom and dad, and he, these are his brothers and sisters. They don't seem to be very impressive either. And uh, are not all these his sisters who are with us? How could they be anything if they're from among us? Where did this man get all these things? He didn't get a good education. He didn't go to the fine schools like we have. He didn't grow up in a very prestigious family. So they took offense at him. Even though they were astonished by his teaching, they, they noted that his teaching was very different from the typical teaching of the of the of of the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, the official teachers, and and they they also acknowledged that he did mighty works. They saw his miracles, 
But despite that, they took offense at him. They rejected him. And Jesus said, a prophet doesn't have honor in his own town. Uh, he is despised. It's not, it's not just about preachers, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a parable that, um, that uh, we have something similar to that. Familiarity breeds contempt. You know, if something is familiar to us, if it's nearby, if it's easily accessible, it can't be very much because only that which is beyond us, just beyond us, only that which the, everybody else, the majority has told us is something must, must be worth something. It can't be common. So he did not do, he, they knew about his mighty works, but verse 58, he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You can say, I don't believe you're going to do anything. If you're going to be my God, you're going to be my Savior, then you've got to act the way I, I mean, the way that impresses me, impresses people around me. You can quench the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus, uh, Jesus is astonishing despite, despite the appearances. The kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven, it gives, it gives proof of a superior king and an empowered kingdom regardless of appearances. That's the first point. The kingdom of God, the king, King Jesus, is superior to all other kings, all other things that tell us that they are important. The, the kingdom of heaven, the people in it, are empowered by the king. That those two points, the, the 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 superiority of the king and the empowerment of the kingdom, those are the points that God is making through you, through the church of Jesus Christ and in this world. He's saying, I, I'm going to prove that I am the more powerful king, I'm going to prove that my people are empowered by my grace by, by, by causing mighty things to be done despite appearances, despite one's heritage, despite one's education, despite one's influence, despite one's IQ, despite their physical power, I am going to show myself to be the mighty king and uh, that that they are empowered my people are empowered by my spirit now what does that remind you of doesn't it remind you of the parable of the hidden treasure walk by a field you say that field you know the real estate agent says hey you want to buy that field and you say no why i don't want that field look at that thing look at the location look at it's grown over with weeds uh, nobody else has bought it. Uh, it's in a bad part of town. I don't want that. Ah, but if you only knew, then in that field, there was a priceless treasure. You would leverage everything you had to buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is like that. To be a follower of Jesus Christ means is you're going to be identified with one who purposely does not allow you at many times 
to be regarded as the smartest, the most impressive, the most influential, the wealthiest, the most likely to succeed. He brings you into a, a relationship with people who are not regarded as such either. He puts you to work at things that he calls you to do things, to engage in things that, that the world scoffs at and said, that's not gonna make any difference. And Jesus said, exactly, that's what I want the world. I, I, want, I want the world, I, I love, I love to stack the odds against myself so that I can prove that I am the superior king and I am the power behind the kingdom. The first point is, he proves he is a superior king and, and, and proves his kingdom is empowered by his grace despite appearances. The second point I want you to get from these verses in verses 1 to 12 is he proves he is a superior king, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is empowered by, by his grace despite intimidation. Now verses 1 to 12 harkens back to something that occurred earlier uh, 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 earlier in history, Matthew says, let me, remind, let me tell you about something that happened before Jesus was at this point in his ministry. Herod Antipas, Herod is, was one of the uh, four sons of, of uh, Herod the Great. Herod the Great broke up his kingdom into four parts and he made a Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, the king of Judea, the, of, of the area where the Jews lived. And uh, Herod Antipas uh, fell in love, in lust, with his sister-in-law, the, the wife of his brother Philip. And Herodias <clears throat> uh, uh, was in love with him too. So she, she divorced her husband, he divorced his wife, and they, they came together. And they had this party at his, at his uh, fortress, the fortress of Machiris, which is on the east end of of the Dead Sea, you can you can go to that um, you can go to that fortress today. In fact, uh, uh, Don Batchelor is is putting together a trip to Israel. Just to just it's not an official trip of the of the church, but he's putting together a trip, and and uh, I'm going to be teaching. On, I've been uh, invited to teach on that trip. So has Todd. And if you'd like to join that trip, call call Don Batchelor. It's not a, a thing the church does is something they just uh, pull together but there's still some openings if you want to go there and I've I've been to that place where John the Baptist was was uh, was beheaded so it's a, it's a great um, great fortress on the top of the mountain there overlooking the Dead Sea Herod Antipas was a sickly kind of guy and he had people he had his servants walk him down to the Dead Sea and dip him in there for therapeutic reasons bring him back well anyway he fell in love with with Herodias and and Herodias uh, uh, had a thing against John the Baptist. Herod didn't like her, didn't like him either. John the Baptist made them nervous. He was more pop, he was popular, and he wasn't supposed to be popular. He was just a poor, crazy guy preaching out of the. But the people were following him, and this Jesus seemed to have been following him. But they didn't know it was Jesus. They thought so many people are following this guy named Jesus. It must be John the Baptist come back from the dead. And Herodias is is threatened by this first, and also they're, they're both offended that John the Baptist preached against this marriage. 
Here's a preacher going to meddling with, uh, with moral issues. It's what we are called to do prophetically from the pulpit, to speak into, not to get political, not to align ourselves with parties, but we do speak into moral issues regardless party affili affiliation. We, we, we uphold the honor of marriage and the, we uphold, we, we, we preach against sin. We preach for the good uh, commandments of the kingdom of God because life goes better with them. Well, John the Baptist preached against this marriage. They didn't like that. They wanted to get rid of him. They were threatened by him. Now, why does, why does Matthew tell us all of that? that Herodias' daughter danced before John the Baptist, who was apparently a lascivious kind of dance, and it was a, a sort of, a, it, was, it, was, it was voyeurism, and, and John the Baptist was so taken with it that his, his paramour, uh, Herodias, sort of tricked him into this. You, you like this, okay, you've got to pay for it. You've got to, and what you're gonna pay for it, the way you're gonna pay for it is you're gonna bring me the head of John the Baptist. And uh, and they kill John the kill John the Baptist. Well, Jesus comes along later, and they see the power with it. They think he's come back from the dead. What what is, what is why does Matthew put all of this here? Because why should why should these people be intimidated by John the Baptist or Jesus? These these people are powerful. They have wealth. They have riches. They can order people to be executed. Why are they intimidated? Because it proves. John the Baptist's king was superior. It proves that he, being empowered by God, brought threat, outsized threat to the kingdoms of men. What does it remind? It reminds you of the, of the parable of the leaven. You can't see this kingdom of God. They don't know this power. What is this power behind John the Baptist's preaching and his ministry? What is this power by which Jesus does his miracles? I don't know, but it's going everywhere. The whole world has gone after him, said Caesar. And, um, and, um, or Herod said that. And then, and then, uh, and then the parable of the mustard seed the little bitty seed, but it grows into a tree that provides shelter. These people, these people are more secure than we are, and we have the fortresses. Kingdom of heaven reveals a more superior king, and the kingdom of heaven is empowered clearly by the king because it's greater than intimidation. Third point I want you to see. This is in verses 13 to 21. 13 to 21. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He's teaching. People get hungry. Um, disciples bring the problem to him. Say, you better send all these people home because they're hungry. It's getting, it's going to get dark and so forth. And, and uh, Jesus says, uh, well, well, you feed them. You, you, you do it. And... Um, uh, uh, and and they say we don't have we can't do this. So many thousands of people. And there you know there are a couple of these instances. One one is the feeding of the four thousand. The other is the feeding of the five thousand. But both kind of un, unpack the same way. 
even after Jesus has fed uh, several thousand people, the disciples are panicked again. And you, you, you give them something. No, we don't have anything. Well, bring me what you have. Bring me what you have. Well, here we found somebody with five loaves of bread and two fishes. Okay, give it to me. He multiplies it. He feeds, not only feeds everybody, but there are 12 basketfuls of leftovers. To, to, uh, to, to demonstrate that 12 is symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning the, and in Revelation, the, the complete people of God. 144,000 is, is 12, uh, is 12 squared. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the perfection of perfection. All of God's people. God will, God will bring in all of his people. He will take care of all of his people. He will complete his salvation. All of that is captured in that imagery. Jesus, Jesus says, despite your limitations, I'm going to make much of your limitations. You don't have, you don't have uh, the resources to feed these people. You don't have the resources to get through life. You don't have the resources by which to, to make one decision or another. You can't protect your health. You, you, can't, you can't lead your family in a perfect way. You, you, I want, I'm gonna make much of your limitations for this reason, not to embarrass you, not to shame you, because, but because I want to show through you that I am a superior king and I am the power of the kingdom. I'm your power, my power, my grace is made powerful in your weakness. It reminds you, doesn't it, of the sower and the seed? The success of the seed was not due to the seed itself. It all depended on where the seed fell. The seed was totally dependent on the, on the condition of the soil. The seed that went down into the good soil is the seed that found warmth and water and, and, and protection and nurture for its roots. That's why it grew up. Jesus will make much of your limitations. We're embarrassed of our limitations. But we should make much of them. We should tell people, we should volunteer our limitations. Like Paul, let me, you, you think I'm weak? You think I'm unimpressive? Well, you don't know the half of it. Let me tell you some more. Let me tell you just how weak and unimpressive I am. Let me tell you, I, I struggle with anxiety or depression, or I, I'm a worrier, or I have a hot temper, or I, I often don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Through my weakness, Jesus commends himself to you. Jesus wants people to look at you and me and say, wow, if Jesus can save them, if he can do something with them, if he can use them in his kingdom, he can surely use me. The fourth point I want you to get is in verses uh, 22 to 33. Uh, it's Jesus walking on the water. It's an incredible story, isn't it? Jesus is always trying to get away from the crowds and he needed to get away from the crowds to grieve the death of his of his friend John. He had to get away from the crowds to 
pray and <clears throat> here he tries to get away from the crowds. He gets his disciples in the boats and he hits a, hits a, hits a storm. The sea, sea of Galilee is tumultuous. It, it lies down in a, in a kind of bowl and, and it's subject to all kinds of, of uh, wind torrents and changing climactic conditions and climatic conditions. And, and so uh, here they're sailing across and this storm comes up and and uh, Jesus is is uh, is, uh, 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 is is out on the water. He sent the people. He, he sent the um, disciples out on the boat, and uh, and uh, they're in this, this storm. And uh, when when they're about to lose hope. He appears to them. He appears to them on the sea. They, they were in the boat. He's just walking across the water. And they see him. And, and they call to him. And, and Peter calls to him. And, and Jesus says, well, why don't you come on out here? Come on out here in the waves. Water's great. Jump overboard. Peter, being Peter, jumps overboard. And as long as he's looking at Jesus, he's walking on the water. But then he thinks, "Oh my goodness, well, what am I doing?" He looks down at the, at the he looks down at the waves, looks at the wind, looks at the conditions. He becomes over, he's overcome by his circumstances, and he begins to sink, and he cries out, "Save me!" Jesus had told all the disciples, "Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, I'm with you." It's what he always says. He never tells us not to be. Anytime he tells us not to be afraid, he gives that accompanying promise. I am with you. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. My presence, even if you can't see me, my presence means you should not fear. I am with you. So, Peter, you of little faith, lift up your eyes and look at me again. And he takes him and he, and he rescues him. What's the point? The point is that, that Jesus allows us to go through trials. Our Father allows us to go through trials. He could preserve us from suffering. He could preserve us from trials. Sometimes he uses them to discipline us, but we tend to think that all the time we're being disciplined. It's not true. Sometimes he lets us go through, oftentimes he allows us to go through trials, the same kinds of suffering and sickness and, and troubles that, that other unbelievers go through so that he can show that he is the superior king and our power comes from his grace, the power of the kingdom. It's just like the weeds. Jesus allows the weeds to grow up around us. He allows us to keep walking, keep living, surrounded by trials and troubles and tribulations. And he does it purposely so that someday he can say, okay, I know who are mine and who are not, and I'm the one who caused these, these, these seeds to grow and to, and to be nourished and nurtured despite the attack of the weeds. And at the great day, I'll separate them and these will be mine. It's just that point. He's showing himself to be a superior king and that his kingdom is empowered by grace by allowing us to go through trials. The final point is this, that it's in, it's in verses 34 to 36. Jesus goes, when he makes it over there across the, the Sea of Galilee, walks over there, the others arrive by boat. 
eventually. He goes to the, <clears throat> the area of, uh, called uh, Gennesaret. Gennesaret. It's in the northwest uh, corner of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, his reputation had preceded him. They hadn't met him. They hadn't seen the mighty works. They hadn't heard him teach all the advantages that uh, his own people, had, or his hometown had heard. They hadn't heard any of that. They just, I mean, they, they hadn't seen it in experience, but they'd heard of it. And Jesus shows up there and just by his reputation, they bring to him the lame and the, and the sick and the crippled, the mute, and they put him at his feet. And he heals them. And some people have, have faith that is so small, they say, if we, he didn't even have to look at us. We're just gonna touch the hem of his garment. If we just get the fringe, he is the source of healing, we believe it. And they were healed too. What's the point? We're not saved by works. You're not viewed as successful by God, by your great faith, by your intelligence, by how much of the Bible you know, how much you can memorize, how precise you are in your theology. Jesus takes a mustard seed of faith and he makes it great because faith does one thing. Faith doesn't generate anything. Faith does not get God's attention. Faith does one thing, it hangs on to Jesus. Faith does one thing, it receives. It receives. They just heard a rumor, they received it. They just got near his garment, they received it. It's like the net. Jesus throws the net. And he said, you people who think that you deserve and you can sit in judgment on me. I haven't chosen you anyway. The ones whom I have chosen prove that I have chosen them by simply receiving my free gift. You, you worried about whether you're chosen or not? You worried about whether you're good enough for, for heaven or not? You don't need to worry about that. You only need to do one thing, that's to receive the free gift. Jesus offers it. He says, come to me, I'll be your king. Come to me, I will empower you to believe. I will empower you to live. I'll do great things through you. I'll bear fruit through your life. I will prove to the world that you have a superior king and are empowered by his grace despite appearances, despite intimidation, despite limitations, despite trials, and despite works. That's why Jesus, that's why Matthew puts together these stories after he had taught them in parables. Because words are cheap 
It's one thing for Jesus to just say to you, to give you some wise teaching. It's another thing to, for him to say, this is the way the kingdom of heaven is. This is the kind of king I am. It's another thing for him to say, and let me prove it to you. Would you give your life to Jesus today and let him prove it to you and through you? You've been walking with Jesus for many years. You're discouraged in your faith. Give it to him again. Receive his gift again. Let him be your king. Give up. Let go. Yield. Submit. And watch him do powerful things through you. For your good and for his glory. Amen.